1: Hello and welcome to The Game Podcast from The Times. I'm Natalie Sawyer.
2: And I'm Gabriel Marcotti. And we thank you for joining us on this fine Monday morning, heralding yet another international break in the studio with us. That's right. It's the only living gear brand in captivity. It's James. Although I've discovered there are multiple gear brands out there because <laughs> he has at least one sibling. And down the line from Ripenden, uh, the kitchen, just to confirm, Ollie. No, I'm in the lounge today. Oh, you're in the lounge. Gotcha. In the lounge. Not the snug, the lounge. Got it. It's Ollie Kay. Later on, we'll be talking about the Mourinho story that dominated the weekend and the form team in the country right now. Yes, Arsenal.
1: Let's uh, get on to our first topic. It was billed as possibly the game of the season, but the two title favourites in the Premier League cancelled each other out as it finished goalless between Liverpool and Manchester City. But the game wasn't without extraordinary late drama. A Leroy Sane brought down by Virgil van Dijk with five minutes to go, a penalty given by Martin Atkinson, but that was blasted over the bar by Ried Mares. Ollie. First of all, you were at Anfield. What did you make of the situation with regards to who actually was going to take that penalty? Because it looked as though Gabriel Jesus wanted the ball, but he didn't get it. It was Mahrez in the end, and and Pep Guardiola actually sort of afterwards inferred it was his decision.
3: Yeah, um, I was slightly surprised. I, I did, but when I saw Mahrez stepping up, I did think I'm sure. I'm sure I see Mahrez miss a penalty before. I, didn't, I hadn't got it in my mind that he missed um Nearly all of the penalties he's taken in England. But um, I was looking around and thinking, oh, I, I can't really see who's who's going to take this. Um, it's not as obvious as when Aguero is on the pitch, et cetera, et cetera. So, cetera. Um, or, you know, De Bruyne, you would have thought, would have been a, a candidate had he been there. But it's um, the mayor's, there would be, there was a question mark over him as he stood over the board. I think it could have, been, I mean, other penalties, other, other city players' penalty records are printed in the in the Times of there. I, I don't think they make for. Terribly impressive reading. Um, either um, Silva zero out of one, Jesus one out of three, um, Amores what is it now um, three out of eight. So it was um, clear that they didn't have a established penalty taker on the pitch. Most people expect a penalty to go in, and, and uh, as it happens, it went nowhere near. So it was it was a real let off for Liverpool, certainly, um, and a huge disappointment for City because. I thought the the final 20 minutes they looked like they were perhaps going to produce something and, and, and win the game and um to so have had an opportunity like that and wasted it is, is, is um is a, a big disappointment to them. Why are we making a big deal out of this? I I don't
2: Well, I, I don't get this whole sort of debate like and then and then Guardiola says, "Oh, he took them in training and he looked good and the numbers are here." Right? Mm. Guardiola watches these people in training. And presumably looks at them and says, I've got a hierarchy here in my mind. It's it's Aguero, it's Gundogan, De Bruyne, but Gundogan and De Bruyne weren't there. Now there was Aguero. Maybe he even knows these numbers, right? I'm sure they have a whole stats department. He
1: said he he didn't know about Mahrez's record.
2: This is not advanced analytics, right? (laughs) I mean, and he happens to have the best record out of the three of them. And by the way, if David Silva hasn't taken one in six years, it's probably also because he doesn't quite fancy taking them. Maybe Mm. he doesn't feel right. So, what is the big deal with Mara's taking the penalty? I, I, I mean, I, I don't understand this. Well, why does this become part of the, of of the narrative? I guess because nothing else happened. I, I know. <laughs> I, honestly, honestly, that that's it. And you know, Ollie, I I was watching this, and we've criticized City in the past for for being too buccaneering, for for sometimes maybe not knowing how to slow things down and kill games. I mean, that's kind of what they did here right I mean in, especially in the first half it looked to me like the, the the Silva brothers were basically standing next to Fernandinho who himself was standing you know uh just a few yards ahead of the two of the two central defenders right they think, mm. they created density in the middle of the park they didn't do too much with the ball and they didn't concede this is good if you're pep right that becoming a little bit more multi-dimensional
3: yeah I, I think it was it was a different kind of lift performance it was a different kind of city performance uh, both a bit more cautious um less willing to you know risk anything in the pursuit of uh, uh, three points i mean p- people were saying oh it's two teams parking the bus oh, it's not parking the bus parking the buses if it's anything it's it's camping deep in your own penalty area and hanging on with some men behind the ball Neither team was doing that but it was it was a disappointing Spectacle, unless well, it was a difficult, disappointing spectacle, really in terms of in terms of um, the kind of entertainment that neutrals would have been hoping for and expecting. Um, um, but it was it was good from both teams' point of view in terms of playing a different way, showing they can play in a different way. I think both have been accused of being too inflexible in the past, and I think this probably showed. I think if anything, if you were to criticize anything, you'd say it, it would have been a lack of ambition yesterday. I thought, I thought Liverpool looked... I thought City looked vulnerable in the first half hour and Liverpool didn't really look to press that home. And I think Liverpool looked very vulnerable in the last half hour. And I, I thought City had enough of the ball in dangerous areas to to, to have taken advantage. And it didn't, they didn't quite do that in, in a way that I think they would have done at their best. So I, I thought it looked like two teams... Fairly tired after a demanding schedule over the last few weeks and looking at this situation and thinking, well, okay, it would be great to win this game, but we're not too unhappy with a a draw.
1: It is the first time that the trio of Salah, Firmino and Mane have gone four games without any of them scoring. Paul Joyce points that out in The Times today. James, is that a worry for Liverpool? First of all, I think
4: you have to say, Salah, Firmino and, and Mane, I think, all to a certain extent, outperformed last season what they've previously been able to do. I mean Salah obviously by a huge margin and I think you know especially in Europe you know where I think Mane and Firmino scored about 10 goals in 15 games. I mean they've never scored at that kind of rate throughout their careers. I think they've both had one previous season in their careers where they've scored 20 goals. So I think Overall I think you have you expect some sort of, you know, regression and I think also City were not at their most ambitious, particularly in terms of the the full back play of Carl Walker and, and, and Benjamin Mondi, who I thought were both very disciplined, didn't really give Liverpool that space in behind to attack. So have they worked them out, maybe in a sense, but I think, you know, when teams actually want to, you know, have a bit more of an ambition to get forward and score goals, you will still see more space in behind and that makes it tricky against Salah Firmino and Mane, I think, you know, there's obviously a lot of talk about Salah, but his underlying numbers in terms of, you know, the shots he's getting off, the expected goals, I think, all quite good. So I think there are reasons to be positive. Having said that, I think um, just to look at them, to actually watch the front three, they don't look quite right at the moment, and I think particularly that's noticeable in terms of the pressing, which obviously is such a trademark. They're not pressing with the same sort of alacrity as they were last season from what I've seen, and I think that's important because a lot of the chances that that front three created losses and came from winning the ball back high up the pitch, which is a real trademark of of Klopp's, and really allowed them to kind of counteract the loss of Philippe Coutinho and the fact that they don't really have a sort of playmaking midfielder. Whether that's energy, because all three of them went to the World Cup, I don't know. But now that they're not doing that so much, you're seeing teams who have really high-class you know, ball-playing defenders like Man City able to beat the press and play through it a little bit more. And that's, I think, where you know you're slightly missing maybe a, a playmaker like Coutinho.
2: Ali, what's your take on this? Because obviously, in terms of results, it's been it's it's not been a great run um, the last four games. And you know, you can chalk up the 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 Chelsea game, the, the the League Cup one, to the fact that it's the League Cup, and then the other one they had chances that maybe they didn't convert against Chelsea. And against Napoli, the explanation I heard was just like, "Whoa, you know, it was just the worst performance. It was a one-off. Let's move on. And Napoli, nothing special. But you put these things together, and, and they do kind of add up. And even looking, you know, the Champions League is a ways off, and they absolutely mullered Paris Saint-Germain. Paris Saint-Germain have been really, really, really good the last couple of games, and they're actually playing like a team. Is there any reason... To worry and to be a little bit concerned that the wheels might come off, and that, that do you think Klopp is maybe thinking slightly differently? Maybe if Keita's fully fit, we might see him from the start since he does have a little bit of that creativity. Maybe Shakiri if if the front three are running out of steam.
3: Well, first of all, I, I agree with um, James's diagnosis of the of the front three problems. I, I think a lot of it looks like tiredness. A lot of it looks like there has been a conscious decision not to press in the same in the same way, just because of that tiredness. I think he's, he's uh, Klopp is, is clearly feeling that he's got to manage them through the first period of the season and, and get them back up to speed again. I do think these last few games have, have perhaps shown some of the limitations of of this Liverpool team when Salah and Firmino, in particular, aren't on top of their game. I think they are very reliant on those two. And I think he he needs to find a way to um to get them back to really top form and I think maybe a gentler run of fixtures after after uh, the insertion break and just look at it. H- it's Huddersfield, Red Star Belgrade, Cardiff, Arsenal, Red Star, Fulham, Watford. It's certainly a gentler run of fixtures and maybe then we'll see more of Cater. Maybe then we'll see Salah given the odd rest and Shaqiri brought in and, and um and maybe helping Salah get back to form. I mean back to form etc but I I, I do think um, the overall picture is is an encouraging one for Liverpool but I think the past few performances have have brought a bit of a reality check
1: This season with your subscription to the Times and the Sunday Times you can watch every highlight and every goal from every game in the Premier League Subscribe now it's just £1 a month for a three month trial on Saturday evening, Manchester United came back from 2-0 down to beat Newcastle 3-2 in a thriller at Old Trafford. But the game was set against the backdrop of Jose Mourinho's apparently imminent departure. A report claiming that Mourinho would be sacked this weekend, no matter what the result against Newcastle. Uh, Ollie, how did this story come about?
3: Well, it was a story in the Daily Mirror on Saturday morning uh, by David McDonnell, who was there, Manchester... Football correspondent has been for, I think, probably about 17 years. So he's not some wet behind the ears reporter, not somebody who, um, as people might imagine, would make a story up for um, for clicks or hits or, or, or whatever. Um, he's, he's, he's a very good reporter. I, I remember he was the reporter who got the fact that they um, wrote a the story about them holding talks with um, Louis Van Gaal uh, back in 2014 behind Moyes' back when, when Moyes was still in charge. Got the story about Rooney signing a new contract when everybody was writing, including myself, that, that he was on the way out um, back in 2010 or thereabouts. Um, so he's also from Essex, right? He's from Essex. Also. well, yeah. As is Ed Woodward. Mm-hmm. Well, I was, I was actually going to point that out, but I don't. I think that might be putting, putting two and two together. I don't imagine the story came from Ed Woodward directly, but what I'm saying is that I know people like to think that. that newspaper journalists just make up stories nobody makes up stories to my knowledge at least if anybody gets anything wrong they've done so in good faith on very good information but he his, his story was that Mourinho was going to be sacked regardless now you don't write that unless you're fairly certain of it unless you had it on good authority and so I've I no doubt that was the case whether that has changed or let's put it this way if that was the case on Saturday morning. And I, 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 I raised my eyebrow when I, when I read it, not because, um, but just because it, it was so kind of balls out, if I'm, if I'm able to use that phrase. It was so unambiguous and, and not, not leaving any sort of wriggle room. And I thought, it, if you looked at Mourinho's interview before the game, I thought it looked like he felt that it, it was his last game. He, I, he, he, his body language and the, the things he said seemed to suggest that he believed it. And you look at his... his body language throughout the game. I think he, he was clearly so emotional in the second half and emotional at the final whistle. And maybe he did think it was his final game. I don't know. And who knows, it might yet be. But at, at the moment, he's in charge. Other people are briefing that that, um, that he will remain in charge. I would say that the way Saturday developed in terms of going 2 nil down, then all the animosity being expressed by the fans towards the board... Uh, not towards Mourinho but towards the board and not before time I would say and then Mourinho making some changes and the team finally showing some fight and fighting for him, fighting for each other getting the result, spectacular fight back maybe that is the kind of thing that if if people in the United hierarchy had decided well look, this has got to change maybe this is the kind of performance or one kind of performance and result that would make them just say, well, hang on, let's um let's um let's put our foot on the ball on this one and, and just give ourselves some time. And I, I I have no doubt it was written in good faith, uh, reported in good faith on the basis of good information. Um, at the moment, as things stand, um I don't think he's going to get sacked this week, but um it doesn't mean that the story was uh, was an act of you know a piece of fiction or anything like that.
2: Can you clear this up because you you mentioned the board there and and it's part of our sort of footballing vernacular that when people talk about you know decisions that are made by a club and it's not the manager so it's always like the board this the board that Mm -hmm. and I think some people imagine that it's some sort of senate with people sitting there and 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 taking positions it's not when it comes to footballing sphere at Manchester United the board for decisions which don't have to do with commercial things and signing partnerships in Vietnam and whatnot the board is basically Ed Woodward. Um, I know the glazers are there too, but as far as I know, they don't weigh in on transfer decisions and stuff like that. So, I mean, is, is that accurate? And is it really a a Mourinho Woodward dichotomy? If if it's Mourinho against the board, as some people are are, are trying to uh, portray. Well, it,
3: it's, I mean, the board is the board is very glazer heavy, if I could put it that way. Uh, Ed Woodward is is, you know, I think one of two. Um, Board members that's based in England. The rest are, are in um, yeah, but it's, it's, Florida. Not, it's not like Avram
2: Glazer decides. Oh yeah, I, I really like the look of Diogo Dalot. Let's go and sign him. Right?
3: Mm. Oh no, 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 absolutely not. But it's but it's um, it's not even as if Edward would de- Edward decides that. That's um, I mean I, I don't know how many footballers Edward would name off the top of his head. But uh, but uh, it's. Um, um, it didn't seem very many when he when he took over that job.
2: All this anger, all those people with the, having a go at the board. I mean, Gary Neville had this as well. If they're not talking solely about Ed Woodward, who are, who are they talking about?
3: Well, it'll be the Glazers and and. But the Glazers don't. You just. Said, I mean, the underlings.
2: The, the Glazers but, don't get involved in footballing decisions, do they?
3: Well, that's that is their decision. The way they run the club is to leave the club in the hands of, of an investment banker who has. Shown himself not to be a terribly good um, uh, football brain, and they're happy with that. They're they're, they're happy because they believe that their club should be run as a as a uh, in, as a brand and, and prioritize the brand over the football. And that has been shown over the last five years. And that is what people should criticize. It's not about the amount of money a club spends. It's it, the glazer It's totally clear what the Glazers' priority is. It's money. It's it's the brand. It's it's making the the asset more and more valuable. I have no doubt that the Glazers would rather um, become the first billion-pound revenue club than win the Champions League. Absolutely no doubt about that. I mean, it's, that obviously it's, it's an opinion, but. It, it, it's totally clear after 13 years where the Glazers priorities priority. Like, they're, they're more interested in competing with Real Madrid and Barcelona off the pitch than on the pitch. That's, that's, that's I don't said, think Ollie, controversial that, to say so. That's, I know, that's I... what people should be angry about when, when you've got a club with the size of United, the potential of United being run, being run in a way that it's, you know the football is, is an added extra.
2: You can also throw in the, the the half billion that's gone out of the club and servicing oh, yeah. the debt and fees to the glazers. But I think well, more than half a billion. Yeah. Well, whatever it is, it's an enormous amount of money. Um, but it, to me, this is the interesting conundrum. It's fine being commercial and talking about the brand, but eventually, if you have, you know, more and more seasons like the ones we've seen. You know, five and a half seasons of basically a bunch of turds on the pitch in terms of performance, um, with three different managers, it's going to hurt the brand commercially, because not not within England. Manchester United are a massive club. We know that people who who have ties to United, whether it's through family, whether it's through um, whether it's because they they, li- they live in Manchester, that's not going to go away. But this is a club that derives an enormous amount of its revenue from around the world. And as, as they keep reminding us with the 750 million or 650 or however many it is, you know, United quote unquote followers and whatever, they're never going to go to Old Trafford. And yet they still provide revenue to the club by via sponsorships and buying United merchandise and whatnot. New people come to the game as they, as, as they grow up and they won't think of United as this all conquering force as they were between... 1991 and and 2012 when they what they finished first or second 19 out of 22 times they're going to think of United as some sort of perpetual basket case with unlikable managers who play bad football and at some point and and they may end up supporting other clubs as a result maybe not they're probably more likely to switch brands and new new ones aren't going to be United fans and down the road it's going to hurt United commercially
1: well let's focus on what Jose Mourinho said after the match after the comeback at Old Trafford uh, in his post-match interviews he spoke about a manhunt is there a manhunt with Mourinho
2: thank you for correcting his English he said manhunting yes manhunt I know I know no I I think what he said was absolutely I mean I'm assuming the reaction's the same the same everywhere right he kept repeating it's a big boy and stuff so he knows that this is what happens It's, it's not a manhunt he's shouldering most of the blame because he deserves most of the blame because he signed many of these players. He lays out the tactics. He lays out the formations. He gets paid 50 million pounds a year to do it. When he comes on and says, people don't play for the manager, they'll play for anybody. Oh, really? Oh, well, well then then why do they need to, to get you in there? You could get Gearbrand, who no doubt would do the job for, I'm assuming, one-tenth as much, maybe one-one-hundredth as much, <laughs> if the manager doesn't matter. So, no, don't I... do sell I, yourself th- short. <laughs> I think this is just fodder. I think people see right through this. When he started going on about the wickedness... Yeah, there's wickedness out there. And I I think somebody tweeted this. I said, gee, I wonder what, what Arsene Wenger would think about hearing Mourinho talk about uh, wickedness or the late Tito Villanova or any of the, the, the dozens of people who've been on the receiving end here. I don't think anything he said was, was, was heartfelt. This is all part of an act. It's something he feels he needs to do to strengthen his position. And that's fine. His job is to try and... Fix Manchester United by any means necessary, but I think equally, I don't. I don't think any sane person buys what he says.
3: It's not like people are saying this guy must go. It's like saying this. It's saying this guy is under pressure, and it's and it's reporting it in a very dramatic way, certainly, and, and a very sensationalistic way sometimes. But it's not a manhunt. There are people who have been saying, look, it's not his fault. It's the player's fault. Look, it's not his fault. It's the, it's the board's fault. I think there's loads of blame to go around for what's wrong with United and I think some of it is his fault and I think a lot of it's the board's fault and I think a lot of it's players' fault but I don't think any objective person would say he's, this, he's the victim of a manhunt I think he, he is certainly uh, under pressure and it's it can't be pleasant I think he doesn't handle these situations in a way that deflects pressure at, at all it might deflect blame at certain times but it's, um, it's it, the, the sort of antagonistic way he goes about things perhaps uh, attracts more pressure
4: I think one thing about Mourinho as well is that even you know, even when they win as they did at the weekend, because of as Ollie said, the antagonistic way in which he's he's managing, you know, you have to ask yourself. There seems to be so much collateral damage, and I mean, one one thing that we haven't talked about is you know, in in the match against Newcastle, is Eric Bailly was subbed off after you know humiliation subbed as, as some people called it on the, on Twitter after I can't even like twenty six minutes,
1: not even that like, 19, no, 19, I think, 19
4: so. minutes. I mean. And you know, I was thinking like, you know, probably eighteen or even twelve months ago, you know, I felt Baye was really one of the best centre backs in the Premier League. And I was sort of thinking, you know, that Manchester United's future centre back partnership it really I felt was, was Baye and one other. And for whatever reason his form has declined, whether that's to do with Mourinho's management, you obviously I suppose you never quite know, but you know, at the very at the very least, Baye is still, you know, He's still a useful player. You could say exactly the same for Scott McTominay, who seems to be being used as a bit of a pawn as well. he was scared, too. Because of of the manhunting. Who he came up afterwards and said was scared. Where do those two players go now?
0: It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about... Work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow wherever you are. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment.
4: To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss.
1: To Craven Cottage now, where Arsenal thrashed Fulham 5-1 to make it nine wins in a row in all competitions. They're now just two points off top spot in the Premier League, one of five teams who could go top after the international break. James, should we be taking them more seriously?
4: For me, just based on what I've seen from Arsenal, while obviously being impressed by their recent run of results, I slightly remain to be convinced by Arsenal. I think with Arsenal, they have obviously massive goal power. They will always be capable of these sort of results because they have two elite goal scorers. They signed two elite goal scorers in Lacazette and Aubameyang, who, apart from a a brief dip in the second half of last season on Lacazette's part, have really, by and large, continued to score at pretty much an elite rate. For me, just having watched Arsenal, I saw them in the the game against Everton, which they won. They actually kept a clean sheet in that game, but they gave up a lot of chances. And uh, you know, I, I really like Lucas Torreira. I thought he was good in that match, and I think oh, he's been good generally. And I I wrote in praise of him in that match, but I I certainly don't think he's been a panacea to their problems in that area. I think they still do have issues with. You know, the, the, the balance of midfield and whether midfield provides enough cover to the defence. And certainly on that occasion, I saw Everton got in behind a lot. And I think that's only one of two clean sheets they've kept. And I think they certainly gave up a lot of chances in that game. And I think by all accounts, in the Watford game, which was the other clean sheet, they also, they also gave up chances. So I slightly remain to be convinced. I think their recent run obviously is impressive. I, I think it's slightly obviously a case of, you know, them having had their two most difficult matches of the season at the start. And they've obviously had a. A slightly kinder of schedule, but the results have obviously been have been good.
1: Well, in the game today, Gab, I can see you're looking at it right now. There's a lovely diagram of Arsenal's third goal, finished off by Aaron Ramsey. It was a sensational team goal. Is it the goal of the season?
2: I, I don't know because in in this country, when you guys have goal of the season competitions, you guys always seem to choose like the guy who just belts the oh, ball from belter, forty yards out rather hit. than like you know a team goal. And Ramsey did take two touches in the build up; otherwise, it would have been even better. No, like. This was absolutely sensational. I think sometimes you just take a step back. You just marvel at the aesthetic beauty. If you're a Time subscriber, you can actually go online and you can actually see this and watch it again and again because it really is a thing of beauty. Does it mean that Arsenal are contenders? Um, I'm with Gearbrand on this one. They've played a bunch of, I think, generally not particularly good teams when they've played some of the better teams in that run. Like you were talking about Everton, and um, I throw the Watford game in there as well, where, you know, they. They got results, but I don't think they played necessarily great. Uh, you look at this lineup, and again, yeah, it worked in the second half, but again, no Ozel and uh, and Miang was on the bench. Now, what does he have in mind? How is he going to uh, fit these pieces together? Because at some point you presume those guys are going to play. I, I don't know. Um, there's still a lot of question marks, but that's fine. This is supposed to be a rebuilding year. We can't expect Emery to have the answers now. The whole point of rebuilding is is you find the answers. But no, I don't see them competing for the title this season.
1: It was interesting they're looking at Aaron Ramsey's celebration. Sort of, in a way, a bit muted and a little bit like perhaps because the fact that that contract offer was withdrawn by the club. A lot of suggestions that he could leave as early as January now because he can't agree with, on this contract with the club. There is also suggestions he'd like parity with Mesut Ozil. That's partly why this, this contract negotiation is being halted. Is he that sort of calibre of player, James?
4: No, I, I don't think he is is, is, is the short answer. I mean, I also probably. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, come on,
2: I, this, this, is, this, is, this is stupid money. I mean, who who earns this in the Premier League? I mean, this is what... what, what, Who makes this money in the Premier League? This
4: is what you would call... This is what Americans would call franchise player money. This is the money that you play your absolute top star. And for me, Ramsey is not even... He's not even a guaranteed starter. I mean, you look at the Arsenal team, it looks like Torreira and Jacker is going to be the sort of the favoured double pivot. And then you've got, obviously, you would assume that the first choice eleven would contain Lacazette, Aubameyang and Ozil, which leaves one other place. Does Ramsey have a cast iron grip on that place no, no, well quite I mean yeah. yeah you know yeah I'm sure he'll, yeah, he plays some games he's not a guaranteed starter he's not 10 assists a season or 10 goals a season man and the other thing is that Arsenal clearly have a lot of money tied up in wages obviously because of that new deal for Ozil and the signings of Aubameyang and Lacazette and I think that probably to an extent contributed to what was in some ways perhaps a slightly more underwhelming summer transfer window than you might have expected so for me to and you know Ramsey is not he's not particularly young for me it doesn't make sense for Arsenal to tie up that amount of money in in paying him you know franchise player money it's just not it's nonsensical to me
1: Alison Rudd says uh, Fulham need to change the way they play stop trying to outscore the opponent they also have the worst defence in the Premier League as well Uh, James what do you make of what's going on at Fulham?
4: Defensively they're they're in absolute shambles at the moment. I think, um, you know, we've played eight games. They haven't kept a clean sheet in one, and I think they've, con- in fact, conceded more than one in, in seven of those eight games. I mean, the massive problem for Fulham at the moment is, is you look at the the, the, the ups they've played. I don't think they've played the same back four or, or, or back line in any match so far. I, th- I think they've changed in every single game. And, you know, contrast that with Wolves, who have played an, an unchanged back five in every single match, I think. You know, you look at... You look at how consistent Brighton's defensive lineup was last season when they came up. You know how how slowly Eddie Howe evolved Bournemouth's team when when they came. Obviously, they they signed a lot of players in in the summer, a, a lot of defenders as well. One thing I quite liked about their summer business was that, all right, if you decide that Dennis Sedoi and team Tim Ream aren't good enough, they signed Alfie Mawson and they loaned Callum Chambers, who actually have played together before in in the England Under Twenty One team, but. For whatever reason, you know, Mawson was injured a bit at the start of the season, but in the last two games, he hasn't been in the squad. So that pairing has only played together once. The defensive combination has been different in, it, in every single game, and I think that is just that's just an absolute killer when you, you're new to the division, you're trying to build up a bit of consistency. You know, so I think for Slavisi Ikanovic after the international break, the big priority has to be to really settle on a back four and, and you know try and get them some some reps together.
1: Now to find out how we got on in our weekly predictions game, Gab.
2: We both had City winning at Anfield, but gee, thank you, Riyad Mahrez. You (laughs) messed it up for both of us, so no points there.
1: Yes. You're sounding very glum, Gab. I wonder why. Uh, We both predicted Manchester United to beat Newcastle, but neither of us would have uh, foreseen the Magpies' scoring. And of course, they were 2-0 up inside
2: 10 minutes. Now, we both predicted Barcelona uh, would win 2-0 at Valencia, but it's now four games without a win in La Liga for the champions. They were held 1-1 at the Mestalla, and uh, they keep conceding goals because, you know what? Gerard Pique and Thomas freaking Vermalen. Um, <laughs> sorry, Gerard Pique is going through a horrendous patch right now. In the championship, both of us uh, had faith in managerless Villa to get a result at Millwall. Well, we were both wrong again. So,
1: Gab, it all came down to Fulham Arsenal on Sunday lunchtime. Gab had faith in Fulham to claim a point, but that wasn't the case. Now, I, of course, didn't predict a 5-1 win, but I did at least say that Arsenal were going to be victorious, Mm. which
2: means... Go on. It's just 1-1 at halftime, to be fair. And it doesn't mean anything.
1: That's an Arsenal not the had time to score result.
2: really good goals to go and get that, that 5-1 win. Yeah, but it's they still really won. Fair,
1: no, no, no I, I'm taking it. Uh, so I win for a second week in a row, Gab. Is that right? Second week in a row?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So you now have a slender lead of 4-3. And don't forget, it was 4-1 a couple of weeks ago. I'm coming for you.
2: Yes, that's right. You're the uh, Manchester United of this predictions game. <laughs>
1: Okay, it's now time for quick hits. Chelsea roll over Southampton 3-0. Alvaro Morata getting on the score sheet as well. James, he's now got two and two. Is it a sign that he's back to what he thought he could be? And if so, does that mean Chelsea become legitimate contenders?
4: I think Chelsea are playing really well at the moment. Um... I think Murata offers more, he offers more upside than Giroud, doesn't he? So I think for Sarri, I think it would, be, it would certainly be good if, if Murata did show signs of, of getting back to that form. But then on the other hand, I think, I think Hazard looks really comfortable playing with, with Giroud, who kind of brings him into play a lot. So I don't know, interesting dilemma.
2: I'll answer that for you. <laughs> no, given the, the that horrendous sitter that, uh, that he missed earlier. And uh, I think Chelsea still need a little way to go before they become legitimate contenders. Cardiff put spurs through the ringer, but they eventually prevail uh, through uh, an Eric Dyer goal. But that Joe Rawls red card was a big talking point for your close personal friend Neil Warnock. Uh, Gearbrandt, you were there. How did you see it?
4: I think you know, I think in a way it was one. It's one of those where it sort of it was kind of the two yellows that added up to a red. If that makes sense, it was a yellow for the kind of extreme cynicism of the of you know stopping Lucas Moura in that position. And he obviously, you know, rather than had he been a bit cuter about it and tucked his shirt, he went in and basically cleaned him out. Not with a challenge that would have been a straight red ordinarily, but, you know, maybe given the fact that the ball was sort of you know, miles away, I think it probably it, it did all that up to a red card. Yeah, there's
2: no reason whatsoever to do that. Do you know
1: what I like best about it there? What Neil Warnock said is that he's not endangering the life of a player. I don't know why it's a red card.
2: Yes, exactly. <laughs> High
1: benchmark for what's a red <laughs>
2: Attempted murder. <laughs>
1: yeah. Um Wolves win again, this time at Crystal Palace. James, how do they do it? Is it down to Nuno Espirito Santo playing the same lineup week in, week out?
4: I think I think that does help, to be honest. I think, you know, when Runner for Red's team coming up, I think they'll have that consistency of, of system does help. Um I think the wing backs have been outstanding for Wolves. I think Barry Douglas was their was their leading assist last season and I think there was a slight worry over whether they could replace him, but I think Doherty has really stepped up and, and Johnny Castroato has been really good as well. And obviously in central midfield they just have two they have two great passers in, in Neves and, and Matinha.
2: Bournemouth make it three wins on the trot, hammering Watford four nil away, and they're up to sixth in the table. Gearbrandt, does this mean Eddie Howe's stock goes right back up and that maybe some guys in the Northwest ought to take notice the next time there's a job opening?
4: I mean I'm not I'm not really sure Eddie Howe's stock should ever really have fallen in any meaningful way I mean I think he's done a super, an incredible job at Bournemouth obviously with you know some players that were playing for him you know in, in the championship I think possibly even possibly even in league one I think he's still got the some guys but
2: new ones too this Jefferson Lerma is an absolute monster
4: the Jefferson Lerma is an absolute monster I think that 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 is really good because I think that going on to you know whether Howe is ready for a big draw I think well, the one the one big knock on Eddie Howe is that his. His signings generally have not had, you know, the hit rate hasn't been incredible. There Especially been when
2: he signs foreign players, which is not very often and they tend to not be very good
4: for well, him. Well, actually, I think probably his best signing was Nathan Ake. I think Nathan Ake has been, was been probably okay, I, the outstanding. So, yeah.
2: Yes, Nathan Ake is foreign, but he's a Chelsea youth right. product. So you know what I mean. Signings from abroad.
4: All right. Like, yeah, I think generally he has not been that good in the transfer market.
1: Gab, i got one for you. I understand Bayern are down to sixth, sixth in the Bundesliga. That wasn't supposed to happen, was it?
2: No, it wasn't. And uh, and Kovac, uh, actually, his record is worse than uh, Carlo Ancelotti's was a year ago when uh, when he got sacked. But that's okay. We don't want to rub things in. I think the difficulty is that. Uh, I don't think he will get sacked because Bayern made such a big show of how it was so important to have a club guy and you know a guy who spoke with a in a Bavarian accent and blah 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 but yeah it's it's not a great situation he's playing this 4141 system Thiago Alcântara sitting in front of the back four Thiago Alcântara wonderful passer but obviously not much of a defensive filter on top of that the the four attacking midfielders uh, ahead of him uh, they're all either older or not very good off the ball um, defensively, uh, or they haven't been, I mean, with some exceptions. So, so yeah, they got absolutely thumped at home by Borussia Mönchengladbach at the weekend. And um, it really looked like in the second half, the players stopped playing, which is never a great sign. Natalie, how about one for you?
1: Uh-huh.
2: I'm a big fan of Paul Hurst, uh, our distinguished Manchester-based journalist for The Times and son of the former Sheffield Wednesday striker David Hurst. But I hear there's another Hurst out there named Paul Hurst, who's at Ipswich Town with uh, with my buddy Marcus Evans, I believe, right? Uh,
1: yes, but of course this Ipswich Hurst is a different. It's a different spelling. He's got a U, not an I. So he misspells uh, in- his last name. You could say that if that's what you want to say. Although he'll he'll think that our very own Paul Hurst from the Times might spell his name wrong. But anyway, this is
2: Jeff's nephew. Yes, you're talking about. Uh, <laughs>
1: That's the one, yes. Um, Yes, as you say, he is the manager of Ipswich, a summer appointment following the departure of uh, Mick McCarthy. Uh, Hurst had previously been at uh, Shrewsbury, led them to the League One playoff uh, final last May. They lost that one to Rotherham and that, by the way, was the club he pretty much spent his entire career at, Paul Hurst. I had a brief loan spell at Burton, but yes, very much a a miller. Uh, But he's in the news this week because Ipswich, for the first time this season after 12 games, won in the championship, unbelievable, with a 3-2 victory at Swansea. They are second bottom in the league right now. But as I say, they picked up their first win. Paul Hurst he finally got his first win. That is it for now. Many thanks to our guests today, James Gearbrand and Oliver Kay.
2: Remember, you can subscribe to The Times and The Sunday Times to enjoy award-winning journalism online and on your smartphone or tablet. It'll cost you just £1 a month for a three-month trial. I think that's quite a deal. And as part of it, you also get to watch that Ramsey go over and over Mm -hmm. and over again. Search The Times subscription for more information.
1: We'll be back on Thursday to discuss the competition that Jurgen Klopp says is the most senseless in the world of football. That's the Nations League.
4: The Game is brought to you by The Times. For more information and more podcasts from The Times, head to thetimes.co.uk.
0: Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget?